Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on Voice America Empowerment. My name is Anu, and I'm here with the regular host of the show, Rubina Chaudhry. Hi, Rubina. Hi. 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 We've we've changed it up today. Yes, we have, definitely. <laughs> so, um, so Phyllis will also be joining us for the show, um, but um, we've just thought we'd just change things up a little bit. And so we um, wanted to uh, talk about a very, very important topic um, that um, a lot of our healthcare workers are um, dealing with right now. But before we get into that, uh, Rubina, like, give me a little check-in. How are things on your end? <sighs> things on my end are, um, I guess, as well as they can be expected. Uh, this uh, topic of uh, seniors and isolation and uh, coronavirus and everything is uh, is is so important to all of us. But I have uh, a very personal uh, interest in that. Uh, that my mom is in a senior facility. Uh, Right now she's in rehab. I am finding that from a caregiver perspective who's living far away, each day it goes, harder it becomes for me. Um, This weekend, my mom, I was in a conversation. She's beginning to have a little bit more dementia, so sometimes she's remembering things from her past and you know like Mm -hmm. her friends are coming to visit her and uh, but this weekend uh, she asked me if I was uh, if I was there uh, at my cousin's house close to her Mm -hmm. and and, uh, what really touched me uh, you know she asked come on I said you know I'm not allowed to come and Mm -hmm. then I sensed that she was getting confused why am I not allowed to come? So I changed the conversation a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not really realizing where she was, where her understanding, uh, comprehension of the situation was as far as COVID and uh, lockdown right. is concerned. So I didn't want to go too much into that detail. And, and she said, uh, she said, uh, oh, you're a nice girl. Come, mm-hmm. come visit me. You right. know, she said it, of course, in our language, Punjabi, you know, which was just so touching. And uh, that, uh, and then I spoke with her on Sunday as well. Uh, she asked for a couple of items. So I will make, try to see if, uh, if I can make those available or if the facility mm-hmm. can make them uh, available for her. But from a caregiver perspective, it's getting harder. Yeah, well, I was um, going to say that it's very difficult for care, caregivers in any in circumstances when they're even local, you know, when their family members are local. But when you're from a distance, it's I can just imagine how uh, difficult and challenging that would be emotionally and physically. Yeah, it is very much, and uh, it's understanding you. Uh, interesting, you'd bring up the local perspective. Uh, yes, it's just as it's just as hard for the people locally, mm-hmm. and um, and I, you know, we hear of some people going to the window and seeing their loved ones and yeah. saying hello. And uh, about three weeks back, when my when this lockdown just happened in the first week, my cousin who lives up north in uh, BC, mm-hmm. came to visit and wanted to see mom. And of course, he wasn't allowed to. But my mom goes to dialysis. So he waited when she was coming in and just spoke with her and saw her for a few minutes. You know, so he was able to catch a couple minutes with her mm-hmm. as she was being transported back you know, from the hospital to her mm-hmm. lockdown uh, facility. So... That's great. I mean, and I, and I and I hope that things get better. And I, I think I speak for all of us that we are hoping that 
that we come out of this sooner than later and we get back to some level of normal normalcy, whatever that will be uh, post-COVID, because I think our world, you know, is has changed forever. It, it, it is. It is. It, yeah. It, yeah. it is. Uh-huh. All right. So moving along, um, I'd like to bring in... Um, our very beloved friend, Phyllis Amen, who is obviously the host of this show. So welcome, Phyllis, to the show. It feels a bit strange for me to be welcoming you for a change. Do we have Phyllis on the line? Oh, um, it's nice to be here as the guest, in a way. Um, it was nice hearing the two of you chat. <laughs> I was so well, relaxed. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's all, change is good, right? I mean, Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I thought that um, you'd be the pers- perfect person to talk about our topic today, and that is the nursing care facilities now in this COVID environment. And I know that you have a lot of knowledge and experience um, in this area in terms of what people are going through right now. So let's just get into it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Anu, for, for recognizing the fact that, that I have a lot to share and uh, for you and Rabina allowing me the opportunity to do that. Um, I know that a lot of people probably see uh, on TV them interviewing nurses and doctors, and, and most of those people are in um, hospital environments. But I don't think we're hearing very much from people in the nursing home environment. And mm-hmm. uh, the last uh, few weeks, I've been um, covering at a small facility uh, not far from me. And actually, just today, uh, went to a building about 35, 40 minutes from me. They asked me to call and help out because their speech therapist left several weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I had that opportunity today because, as I was mentioning to you before the program started, it it shows you what's possible. And what do you mean by that? Different situ- it's a very different situation from what I'm experiencing at this other place. So, so do you want to uh, elaborate on that a bit? What do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, so the first thing is when it comes to these, everybody hears about the personal protective equipment and the shortages, especially in hospitals and other places. Uh, in nursing homes, it's no different. Uh, it's been several weeks at this one small place uh, where we really still don't have adequate equipment. As a matter of fact, About a week or so ago, I went and I said, listen, if I don't have appropriate covering for my lab coat and my clothes, I I can't do this anymore because one day I was relegated to cutting a garbage bag and putting it over my my lab coat and my clothes. It was just unacceptable Mm -hmm. to me, just unacceptable. So they finally um, were able to secure these rain ponchos. (laughs) I know a lot of people are using these in a pinch because at least it's something. However, and you're still only getting really um, like one mask for however many days. They finally Mm -hmm. did issue us some of these plastic face protectors. So that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of an improvement, but... Uh, and we do have a spray that we could spray the outside of it that's supposed to be an antiseptic, antiseptic spray against the virus. But you're really also supposed to have goggles because mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is that's airborne can actually enter your eyes through the open sides. And um, people in the rehab department went out and bought their own. That's the only way they were going to be able to get them. And so, so why, Phyllis, I can stop you there for a second. Why, um, sure. why is it that some facilities have the necessary equipment while other facilities don't? Well, that's exactly what I was getting to. It beats the heck out of me just to say it. So I went to this building today. The, I spoke with the fellow last week. 
the first question I asked him was, what kind of protective equipment do you have? And he said to me, as soon as you come in, you will be given everything you need. And sure enough, as soon as I walked in, I was outfitted from head to toe. Mm, interesting. Um, uh, uh, right? Including gowns that are disposable. So after you went upstairs and let's say we're in, on various floors, when you came downstairs, you were expected to throw it away and then you would get another one for the afternoon. So I asked mm-hmm. him, how is it that they have all of this? It, it was like almost incomprehensible to me. And he said... When this first started six weeks ago, the Mm -hmm. administrator of this building and the purchasing person got on it immediately because Mm -hmm. they were not going to have their staff unprotected. Just as simple as that. That's very interesting because, I mean, at the end of the day, these decisions are made from top down. So you do need to have a manager or like a director of care who is going to be proactive. And to me, what's coming up for me is like, do you really value your staff? And if you do, how much? Because, I mean, the facilities that are investing in the necessary equipment, they obviously value their staff and everything that goes along with that. What do you think? No, absolutely. As a matter of fact, there was an article in, uh, in this magazine, uh, an online magazine called Skill Nursing News, last week. And the title of the article, is as unfortunate as this is, was, PPE shortages will play a central role in future nursing home lawsuits. And mm. I couldn't believe my eyes. And the yeah. article went on to say that that people, uh, law firms and people, that they're starting to, uh, you know, you hear rumblings of this idea of people who have been in, uh, have had loved ones in facilities who weren't adequately protected, neither the staff or the residents, who are starting to uh, talk about lawsuits against these facilities who didn't adequately protect caregivers that went mm-hmm. from one person to another to another, doing the best they can under the worst uh, situation possible, but unfortunately spreading a virus from one person to another. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I, I definitely hope that things improve because this can't go on. I mean, we, I think we, we are in this for the long haul. And so this is very, very unfair to the healthcare workers who we need them. I mean, they're, they're the, uh, the main uh, people who are running the show here right now. Absolutely. And a lot of um, people uh, that are being discharged from hospitals after they pass the most severe level of the illness or if the hospital feels they cannot do anything for them any longer are being discharged to nursing homes. Mm, wow. Yeah. And um, so, so the tell situation me, um, is even more important. I'm not more, not that it's more important than the hospital, yeah. but. Obviously, the number of cases that they're getting of people who are diagnosed positively for the virus are, are, is impacting uh, their health and well-being as well as the health and well-being of the other residents in the facility. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the scary things. And Rubina, feel free to chime in whenever yeah, you want. Yes, I, I do would like to ch- uh, chime in. Yes, we're having a good conversation. But for the benefit of our listeners, PPE stands for Personal Protective Equipment. And that is uh, all the, you know, the masks, the the goggles and the coats and everything. And uh I just want to make sure that yes. uh, everybody listening knows that what PPE is. Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And actually, yeah. you should have covering for your hair as well, uh-huh. and um, gloves. And actually, you should have coverings for your shoes. We didn't have that today. I meant to ask him about that tomorrow. 
but uh, because they say, you know, the virus lives on all these surfaces. I'm mm-hmm. sure we've, most of the listeners have heard that. I'm sure the two of you have heard that as well, correct? Great. Mm-hmm. I, I think now we will go for our first break and uh, we'll be back for a conversation con- for, to continue this conversation on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with our uh, featured guest, Phyllis Amon. So we'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Welcome back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. This is uh, Rubina with uh, Phyllis as our guest and Anu as our uh, guest host. Anu, would you like to continue the questioning? Um, Sure. sure. Uh, So we were talking about um, protective equipment or lack thereof, Phyllis. Um, right. But I wanted to I wanted to just sort of switch gears a little bit and ask you if you can touch on the actual mood of healthcare workers in your experience of the facility and other facilities you've worked at. What is the actual mood? Because you know the reality is you're dealing with these sick people. You don't have the proper equipment. You have to still put somewhat of us a brave front up. So what is the mood like? Well, I think people are doing the best they can. I think people also, uh, I think it's a good thing if you can express your frustration to, to residents, especially those that are aware of, what, of what's going on. And people do do that. Of course, they, they kind of have an idea who they can do that with more than others. Uh, residents obviously ask about what's going on. Some of them understand better than others, and it's it's difficult to explain that. Sometimes they'll say things like, but you're going home, why can't I? Even people who are not so confused, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, wearing the protective equipment, is it's almost suffocating. You can't right. breathe after a while, and it's very, it's kind of debilitating. Uh, I thought about that actually. Really I, I thought all that. It's very, it's very uncomfortable. So that doesn't yeah, really help. 
Right. Yeah, it doesn't help the situation, to be honest, because you feel hot, and then your mind starts to play with you, and you say, oh, my God, I'm feeling hot. Am I getting sick? And then you realize <laughs> it's because you're wearing all of this apparatus. Yes. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And if you can just touch on the staff shortages, because I know that um, some people have just chosen to not come to work because they don't want to take get you know take a risk in getting infected um, and for other whatever reasons else so there also is a staff shortage in some situations am I correct absolutely there now I spoke with uh, someone today a nurse actually who told me that she's been tested she's negative but she's sick and mm. um they, they kind of told her that she has to come to work uh, and not to tell anybody that she's sick because they'll get scared, but she was tested and she was negative. And she, fi- she was talking with me a little bit today. I only met her for the first time. And I said to her, taking care of yourself mm-hmm. is, is of primary importance. And what good is it if you get really, really sick and you can't come to work sooner or later anyway, you might as well take some time now and and feel better. Mm -hmm. So people are, because there are staff shortages, some places are uh, putting pressure on people to come to work because, and they know people that are, uh, they can pressure to do that um, more than others. But yes, it's true that a lot of places are short-staffed because people are fearful. And, and fear is, it's honest. It, mm-hmm. it, it's honest and it's real. And uh, you could be, by the way, fine one minute and be fearful the next. We're actually all in this situation together. And mm-hmm. it's, it, these are normal emotions. So I think it's better to acknowledge it than to pretend that it doesn't exist. I agree. I agree. And something else that came up um, in my readings as well, my research, and I've been kind of following this quite diligently. And um, what I think is happening as well is that um, a lot of the caregivers, um, you know, nursing staff who are caring for these patients, they are contracting the virus as well and then spreading it to others as well. So how do we deal with that issue? Well, that's, exa- that's exactly what's happening in a lot of these places where um, there, there was an article, actually, I think it was in the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, where there was a facility uh, in, in Queens, which is uh, a distance from me, mm-hmm. uh, where there, uh, the caregivers really didn't have the adequate equipment and they really felt they were spreading the virus from one resident to another to the point where many people died and the facility wasn't transparent with the family members mm-hmm. as to the That's number of people that died or in some cases even what happened to their family members. So yeah. this is, this is <sighs> really unfortunate that... You know, they're, they're causing the, the problem. I'm not saying they're not trying to get the equipment. Some people obviously, you know, it's like the early bird catches the, early the worm. Bird catches mm-hmm. the worm, right? So those right. people who jumped on it immediately, possibly, like this building that I was in today, uh, maybe mm-hmm. um, developed some line of, of equipment and uh, they kind of got to the head of the line before other people who waited, and now are stuck. Yeah. But unfortunately, as you're saying, it's putting their, their residents' life in danger as well as the, the um, caregivers. And in this particular facility, I believe that two caregivers also died along with uh, several of the residents. Phyllis, by the way, I'm very happy to hear that the facility you went to today for the first time is well-equipped. Uh, we have spoken over the weekend. I know that was a concern, and I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. And as a caregiver, when I hear, I have not read that uh, New York Times article. You did send it on. But that's, uh, 
bringing up other feelings in me as being the caregiver who's uh, who's long you know at a distance away that facilities are are having to resort to this and i know part of it is environmental um, but uh, I, it sent shivers down my, my spine. I just wanted to share that with you. I, and I, I hesitated to say it because I know the situation that you're in. Um, mm-hmm. in. In this country, just yesterday, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released new reporting guidelines for nursing homes so that they are now required to tell uh, how many people are infected in a facility, how many people have passed away in a facility. Obviously, they're not going to divulge names of people, mm-hmm. but that they will have to uh, report this information also to the Department of Public Health. Um, um, and um, they will... Uh, the, um, I think in Massachusetts... They will have to report the information to the House and Senate Ways and Means Committee on a weekly basis based on race, age, and sex. Uh, so there are people moving forward with creating a situation with more transparency. That's great. That's and really when, good you, when, when we talk about transparency or, like you say, Rubina, you're so far away and, and what can you do when you, you're kind of... Uh, dependent on the veracity of the information that they give you, although you've visited the facility your mother is in many times and you said it's a a wonderful facility, Uh, and I have no doubt that it is, but these are some of the questions that people should be asking when they call a facility to find out how their loved one is, uh, is uh, what kind of equipment, what kind of personal protective equipment does the staff have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this, do you have any uh, residents in the building that are positive that developed developed the virus while they were in the building, or they were sent to the hospital and when they returned, they returned with the virus, or are you admitting new people that have the virus? Because part of the situation is people can make a decision if they want to take their loved one home and not leave them in this facility exposed to this virus, especially if the caregivers aren't adequately protected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. that everybody can make that decision, but there are people who, who may choose to make that decision. To what extent is that option available, Phyllis? Uh, is that well, being done? I just heard of someone your... today. I actually, uh, there was a, a phone conference, and it was actually just that very thing. The uh, person had uh, returned from the hospital with a diagnosis that was positive. They seemed to be doing a little better, and the family has decided to take the person home. Of course, they only live a few blocks from where the facility is, but they rather do that. So... It depends also what the needs of the person are, and can the family take care of the person based on their medical needs or cognitive needs or whatever other issues they may have. Those obviously will enter into the decision. But there mm-hmm. are people who may choose to make that uh, determination. Mm-hmm. It's I think situ- another important question to ask facilities uh, if you're call- if a person is calling, is what precautions have they put into place for residents that are in rooms with more than one bed? Mm-hmm. And Good question. Are, it, are they in a in a room with a person that's positive? If they're not positive, right? You know what this. precautions are they? What precautions are they? What precautions are they? making in that situation? Are they moving the person? Are they, what, what are they doing? Right. So I think, Phil, I think Rubina had something to say. Go ahead, Rubina. You know, just uh, along the same line, uh, I think this whole situation is going to change our, our whole lifestyle, our paradigm, because I heard one uh, report or one person talking about the future of nursing care and how that may be impacted. 
Uh, you know, that was in one of way, the news. May I ask? Uh, they were saying in terms of uh, going away from this large building model to, mm. you know, a smaller units model so that because these people are not very mobile so that should they be in that kind of an infectious situation that they there would be smaller group like, a, you know, granny pad or pods or something right. like that. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's sometimes it's practical and sometimes it's not. So I think the jury is out as to how it's going to impact the whole whole industry. But it definitely is uh, is making everybody think about it. Mm. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up about uh, people being in their rooms because that would be another question that I would urge people to ask. People are quarantined in their rooms. Uh, in many facilities. Mm-hmm. In the facility I was today, by the way, there were people sitting in the dining room. I was very pleasantly surprised to see that. They were a distance apart, but obviously there were people there. But some people are reluctant to allow that situation. I understand that to a certain degree. But I had a, a, a friend colleague several weeks ago tell me that their mother was in an assisted living facility and after being cooped up in the room for two weeks, um, she was starting to become weaker from lack of mm-hmm. mobility. And, of course, that increases the chance of falls, and as well as cognitive decline and depression. We, we know all, all mm-hmm. of the ramifications of that. So yeah, it's a domino effect. I would effect. urge family members to ask, what are you doing to let my loved one continue to have mobility even in the room? What, what do you have in place so they're not yeah. just sitting isolated in a room? I think that's a very important question to ask. It's a very important question to ask uh, about anybody in a facility, but I think let's extend it a little bit. It's very important question for all of us as well. Uh, those of us that are working from home, and right. uh, that are you know telecommuting, the mobility is is very very important, and uh, we all have to get up and do things and exercise and uh, walk, etc. So I just of, want of, to extend that to everybody. Of course, of course, we have the freedom to be able to do that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And somebody mm-hmm. who's in a room in a in a wheelchair, um, I get I I I. I I hesitate to say, but it's all too easy just to let them sit there. Do you know what I mean? And and part of it is yes. because everybody is busy, and as the news said, they're short-staffed, and they still have to meet the needs of of all of the residents that are there. So it's it's a very difficult balance that they're trying to. And you know what the interesting achieve. thing is is that you know. Um, Pre-COVID, I think a lot of facilities were open to having volunteers come and and spend time with the elders, but that's not even an option now. And so I think that's what makes it really even more disheartening. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, I saw a program, it was a webinar actually, it was really very interesting, about a week or so ago, and they in this webinar they were talking about creative solutions for movement for people in their rooms. I hadn't really thought about it. I thought, what a great idea. Just have people come to the doorway and mm-hmm. have somebody at the end of a hallway or every few rooms do some kind of exercise, and people are just in their doorways, and they're certainly a distance from each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good idea. You know what? It's about being creative and thinking out of the box. At the end of the day, there's lots of things that can be done, but it requires effort um, on on their on everyone's end. And but there's lots of things we can still do because I know that we we are encouraged to maintain social distancing at least physically, but that doesn't mean that you know that we should stop social social distancing <laughs> in terms of engaging with each other. Yes, we can be physically apart, but we can be socially together. And that's where um, Olive 
has uh, started offering its programs online Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 11 to noon. Everybody is welcome to join us. We do exercise uh, as well as have uh, stimulating topics. Uh, and uh, the listeners can, now that we are online, they can be anywhere in the world and they can send an email to info at olivecs.org. That's I-N-F-O at O-L-I-V-E-C-S dot O-R-G and they will be accepted into the program and uh, you will have mobility, uh, routine, schedule and uh, please uh, join us. Oh, that yeah. sounds terrific. That's a commercial. That sounds really great. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, Phyllis, I just want to thank you so much for shedding some light on this really important topic because as you mentioned at the top of the show that we, we don't hear about these stories. And, I, you know, I think I speak for all of us is that our hats go off to you and, and everyone else who works in these facilities to take care of our vulnerable um, elders. And, um, and we hope that things improve in all facilities to ensure that everyone is protected and, and is able to do their job safely. So thank you I so agree. much for for taking the time to shed some light on this. And thank you for the opportunity to uh, allow me to be here uh, uh, sitting in for you. Thank you. And, thank uh, you very it's much. My pleasure. And with that, I guess I'll uh, speak to you um, next week. Right. And Rubina, I guess you and I will be together next week on the show and uh, we'll explore Actually, another we're, interesting we're going to No, no, no. You're going to say, stay on, Phyllis, and you and I are going to continue, right? Oh, uh, oh! I wasn't sure that was the plan, but okay. I guess we can. Well, let's well, go would you break like and it? figure it out. <laughs> let's okay. go break and figure it out. All right. Well, uh, Voices for Elder Care Advocacy will be back on the other side of this uh, break on Voices uh, Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rubina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Well, welcome back. Uh, we are all here. We did not release Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis, thank you for uh, agreeing to stay on with Anu and me. And Absolutely. In, in our third segment, we usually talk about your personal experiences and my personal experiences and how we're handling this uh, this whole situation of lockdown, working up from home alone, etc. So let's uh, let's each one of us uh, share our ideas and we'll ask Anu first. Anu, uh, 
what are some of the things and challenges that that you found and that you've overcome and some tips for our listeners um well in general in terms of how i'm doing i mean i i work from home anyway and so the transition hasn't been that much of a transition for me except for the fact that the other work I do with the women's center here that is closed so now I'm just home a lot more but in terms of um, getting into a routine I I think I've got that down pat Um, I think what I miss the most is just getting up and going out to meet friends I'm very I'm a very social person and so it's great that we have technology which allows us to connect to each other and of course the phone but that physical connection that we have with people over food or coffee or whatever that may be shopping that's not there right now and so for me I I'm not going to lie I'm feeling a little bit of a of a, a gap there for sure mm-hmm. um yeah, and in terms of uh, just building routine is so important. So I make sure that I get up in the morning and I I try to I try to work out every day. It doesn't always happen, but I'm trying to make it a routine. I might do my workout later in the day, but I'm trying to build it into a routine in the morning. So, but I definitely make sure that I have a shower and, and get dressed and do my hair and even light makeup. So I feel like I'm sort of set for the day, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think aside from that, I think it's really important to just, as we mentioned before, the break is just, it's really important to make sure that we stay connected with our friends and family. So, you know, reaching out to um, people, even people you haven't spoken to in a long time. It's, it's uh, I've had the opportunity to connect with some friends whom I haven't spoken mm-hmm. to in such a long time. And it's this is the perfect time to do it because we have more time, at least some, some of us do. I, Right. I have a follow follow on question, uh, Anu. I know your husband works in a, a care facility. As mm-hmm. a spouse of someone who's working in a care facility, share your thoughts. Um, in what regard? Like, do you mean in terms of just uh, um, how is it? How is in, it? In how is safety? he? I mean, does he have appropriate uh, personal what? protective equipment? Um, in t- are there mention- people who are positive in, in the facility in which he's working? Yeah, so basically, like, they nipped it in the bud really quickly, and so they went into lockdown very early on when COVID first was a thing. And so um, they are very fortunate that they have had no cases of uh, the virus there. And uh, and they've been very proactive in terms of ensuring that all of their staff are properly equipped uh, and and they're very diligent about um, sanitization and in that regard. They also stopped the meals in the dining room. I guess because of space, they weren't able to do the social distancing thing. But what they are doing is they're offering um, activities on each floor. So the the facility has four floors, and so each floor is um, offering different activities just for that. Uh, the residents who live on that floor. So they're not completely isolating them in their rooms. They are still engaging with them. So I think that's really nice. It's really important. Uh, and then their meals are are, are uh, served in their rooms. Um, but in terms of your initial question, Rubina, um, I think in the beginning it was really stressful because they were just trying to get all these things into place and they had so many conference calls with the health authority and whatnot. And, and, and you know, one thing was, was that the rules kept changing. So one minute you would, you would hear something and then like by the afternoon something's changed. And so, so keeping up with all that, they're just inundated with uh, all these uh, emails and phone calls and whatnot. But now it seems like there's a rhythm and they are doing uh, pretty well, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and, great uh, to hear. And he's and he's calm when he comes home. Yes, he, yes, yes. Uh, you, and of, mm-hmm, great. That's that's good to hear. Mm-hmm. Phyllis, how about uh, you? How are you uh, handling your home personal home situation? And what are some of the things that you're doing? Well, I'm. Um, I live alone, so admittedly, there are days that or moments 
when I feel better than other moments. Even mm-hmm. though I have a lot to do, I'm so busy. To give you an example, yesterday I was busy writing and emails and making phone calls and doing a lot of work that I have to do and, and uh, finishing a module for a course. I was busy until 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So I do think, however, that it comes in, in waves. So, but the reality is, like Anu said, there's the ability to pick up the phone. I mean, I spoke with you. Wasn't it yesterday, Rubina? You and I spoke briefly? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you speak on the phone with somebody. You, um, you know, you, you have contact with people another way. Um, it's funny, Saturday... Um, Saturday, I found myself going out to the store twice because <laughs> I had some <laughs> unimportant need to get some certain flavor of fruit spread. <laughs> it just goes to show how it kind of plays with your mind a little bit. It's just like I just had to go out and try and do this thing. I don't even really use fruit spread because it's full of sugar. But I, I just had to have it in my cabinet. And I think that part of that was just the need to get out of the house and yes, I was gonna say that. be around people even though, um, you know, everybody's wearing a mask and you're socially distant. Uh, I heard an interview, I think it was yesterday morning, Governor Cuomo, who said he ran into some people who drove from Queens to Albany, which is a t- at least a two-and-a-half-hour ride, to get some Thai food. So he said, and he's from Queens originally, I believe, he said, like, why would you drive to Albany for Thai food? First of all, there are a lot of good Thai food restaurants in Queens. They said we just needed to get out of the house and take a ride. So I think that a there's idea, a actually. psychological component to it where even though you are talking with people, you could be video uh, FaceTiming, you could be doing a lot of things, but it's just the idea that you, you now have to stay in your house and you feel like you need to get out of your house to be out in the world in some way, shape, or form to do something. Yeah, no, absolutely true. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I guess it's now my you? turn. What about <laughs> me, right? Mm-hmm. Right, what about absolutely. Me? Well, I am, uh, like I know, I'm, you know, I'm used to working from, from home. My office is five minutes away, uh, my corporate office. Uh, so for me, I think the biggest thing I jokingly said right in the beginning, now I don't have to answer the question, did you go out today? Now that <laughs> question is is not there, right? But mm-hmm. I find just like Phyllis said, I am busier than I was before. I am being very product, uh, productive and proactive. And some of the positives that are happening is that I am now allowing time to cook fresh foods for my husband and I. And I realized even today with my schedule and meeting ending at almost 12.30, 12.45, and then this one at 2, I was able to make fresh lunch for both of us. We're not oh, eating together wonderful. because we're on the we're on a different, you know, our own schedules, but right. I'm, I'm, we're eating healthier. And the other thing is I'm finding that I am uh, also exercising and I'm making uh, sure that I attend the Olive online programs. And the real example was one day last week where, you know, as you said, we all have ups and downs and we have so many things happening. And one day I could have spent the whole day in, in bed, but just 10 minutes before the program, I got up, washed my face because it's on Zoom, right? Um, <laughs> and I, I joined and that, that changed my whole day. So I'm really mm-hmm. grateful to these online programs and I'm sharing it with the listeners from personal experience as well. And uh, the other thing that we've done is, you know, um, one of my daughters, she... Um, she worked up this uh, this system where we get uh, Costco business delivery to our office. 
So both my daughters and us, you know, their husbands and my husband, they go and separate our groceries and bring home. So there are oh, at least cool. some people, there are some people that are not going to the grocery store uh, because of her effort. So we have right. two shopping services that, and they're training me into technology so I can do my own ordering too. But right now, oh, so I'm that's glad happened. to hear that, Rubina. <laughs> And uh, from the work perspective, it's uh, it's quite busy. My part is reasonably doable. I have my office manager, whoever comes, they're wearing a, a mask for my signature at my front door. I can't give you, right. I can't hug you, I can't talk to you, you know. But, uh, you know, we are an engineering company uh, and we have some work going on. And, uh, and uh, my husband... We're saying that as soon as we open up a little bit, people are coming back. We have the space available. We'll separate them because it's hard right. to uh, get those large pieces of data communicated over line, you know, and, and the right. printing capability for engineering design and that. So we're having those challenges on the, on the work side. But another thing right. that I'm trying to do, and I think I've done at least a little bit, is um, is I'm kind of moderating my interactions with my mom because I also don't want to trigger some of the questions that may be negative for her. But I'm also reaching out to a couple friends and one of them is you, Phyllis, and I've reached out to you Saturday and Sunday while I was on the treadmill because I I was hoping that that conversation will just be helpful. And we always brainstorm and come up with ideas. I have a cousin in England, and my uncle just went into the facility a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, so we talk and support each other a lot. Uh, so definitely it's uh, a combination of all of those things, relying on friends and family. And, of course, we are doing family Zoom calls. We had a two-hour call with our children and grandchildren yesterday. Oh, that's great. I, I was going to say, Rubina, that uh, there are people in assisted living facilities and nursing homes, if somebody, if they had access to email, uh, they could access the Olive Online program from a facility as well. It doesn't have oh, to be people who are only at home. No, they can, they can access in their room. They can access in their activity room. As long as they have a, an Internet connection and a computer, they can access from anywhere. Yes. On that note, we're almost at the end of the show. I hate to break up this very stimulating conversation, but um, we are out of time. I mean, it's amazing when we all get together, we exchange all these amazing ideas and share our thoughts and experiences. And so, unfortunately, we have to close it up for today. But... um, Thank you Thank so you. much for all of you for sharing your thoughts and experiences. And um, we look forward to having you both back next week on the regular scheduled program. And thank you for allowing me to step in today to be the uh, co-host. I appreciate it. Well, thank so, you, Anu, for doing it. Thank you, Anu. Okay. Okay. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.